0: Hello, this is the Tolkien Professor, welcoming you to the Washington College Tolkien Course, Spring 2010. This is Class Number One, recorded on Monday, January 18th, 2010. The class normally meets for 50 minutes a day, three days a week. Today's recording is a bit shorter. Since it was the first day of class, I had to take some time to go over my roster and discuss the syllabus, and in general take care of the kind of academic housekeeping which is not really of all that much interest to anyone else. The segment of the class that I'm posting here is my general introduction to the course with some very basic background on the context of Tolkien's work and the greater picture of 20th century literature. Now one thing I wanted to mention before I start the recording... The students who are taking my course for credit will be required to post regularly to a dedicated discussion forum that I've created for the class. I would officially want to invite any of you who will be following along with the course to please join in the conversation on the discussion board. The discussion forum for the class is a separate section of the larger discussion board that I've already created from my website. If you're interested in logging in and checking out the ongoing discussion, just go to my website, www.tolkienprofessor.com, Click on the Discussion menu button, and then follow the link to the discussion board. The class will be using the forum labeled WC Tolkien Course Spring 2010. And now, without further ado, my introductory remarks. It's now four years since I first taught this class. This is the third time
1: I've uh, I've offered my class on Tolkien. And I will confess, the first time I taught this class, uh, there was a certain degree of duplicity involved on my part. That is, my intention in teaching the Tolkien class, was not primarily to teach about Tolkien in itself. That is, I first taught the class as almost a kind of experiment uh, as a medievalist. Um, Tolkien... The works of Tolkien are by far, I mean, absolutely without exception, the best introduction to medieval literature that exists. Um, as those of you who have taken medieval literature classes know, medieval it is kind of weird. Uh, it's, it's a little strange and it's very, there's so many ways in which medieval people thought very differently from the way that we think and reading it can be a little bit trippy and intimidating. It's complicated. It's, the language is often difficult. Um, and it's just, it's, it, it's hard to, empathize with it and kind of get into it uh, as one gets into uh, modern literature. Now, Tolkien, therefore, serves as a really admirable bridge to the Middle Ages because much of the worldview of Tolkien's works is thoroughly medieval. And and I, and I don't just mean things like the setting, you know, like the fact that they ride horses and use swords and things. Um, what I mean is the deeper worldview, things like uh in, within tolkien's world uh worked into the, the 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 sort of the basic fabric of tolkien's world are some of the basic assumptions that medieval people brought to the world around them all the time as for instance the assumption that the world is in continual decline that as time goes on things are not getting better and better we in the 20th century work on a post darwinian idea of progress Right, that as time goes on, things are getting better, people are getting smarter, human knowledge is doubling every so often. I don't, I've never fully understood how they calculate that. But anyway, um, you know, th- things are getting better, people are getting, you know, that last year's world records will be, probably be broken again next year, uh, and someday there will rise another swimmer who will get even more gold medals than, 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 than Phelps did. You know, that, that's sort of the way that we assume, the way that we look at the world. In, in the Middle Ages and in Tolkien, the view of the world is completely different that when things are first created they are they are greatest and they are strongest and as time goes on they decline that we cannot hope to compete with our ancestors in almost anything that the world records that they set we couldn't even think about this. You can see this in lots of different places. Um, for those of you who have taken or are or are going to take foundations, too, for instance, you can see it in Homer. Homer talks this way uh, many times. As for instance, when uh, in battle, Diomedes picks up a stone and throws it, and Homer says something like, "Men as men are nowadays, no three men could pick up this stone which Diomedes picked up in one hand and chucks like fifty yards." Right? It's that idea that you know, back in the day. People were 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 amazing. We, we we can't possibly measure up to that. This is the same thing in Tolkien. The the, the trend of Tolkien's world is a decline, a decline from 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 from, from daylight in, into twilight. We see it most powerfully, of course, uh, in the story of the elves as he describes it. Um, but but you can see it in lots of other places. That's just one sort of small example, and, and there are many others. To read Tolkien is to get whether you know you're getting it or not, an introduction to the Middle Ages and how the Middle Ages thought. And that was the primary motivation for my teaching the class the first time, um, as a kind of bridge, as a kind of proto-introduction to medieval literature. Um, and that was my kind of hidden pedagogical agenda uh, in, in, in teaching it as a, as a medievalist and, and you know for the sake of my other medieval literature classes. However... Through teaching Tolkien, and the more I have taught Tolkien, the less, uh, the less duplicitous my agenda has become. Of course, I still believe, um, as I myself have experienced it, how uh, how useful it is as an introduction. Tolkien is, by the way, the reason that I'm a medievalist. Um, I first really studied <coughs> medieval literature in college, but when I did, you know, people sometimes say, "What was it that you know that that drew you to?" medieval literature and it's hard it was hard at first when i first thought about that question even to explain because when i first read it it was just i mean i didn't even really think about it it was it just was so natural that was what i was just interested in i didn't um you know there was no warming up process it was it was just kind of instantaneous but the reason for it i'm pretty convinced is is tolkien it's like uh when you you know grow up hearing stories about something or grow up seeing pictures of something, and then you go there for the first time you 've never been there before you 've never actually seen that place before, but you look around and it feels and it feels both more wonderful than you imagined uh, than you 'd ever experienced before, but yet it feels like home it feels like it feels perfectly natural to you. That was like my experience, coming from uh, a childhood pretty thoroughly steeped in Tolkien to suddenly reading medieval literature for, for for the first time. So it's not that I've changed my mind about that particular usefulness of Tolkien, but um, I have come through teaching Tolkien to have uh, a greater and greater respect both for uh, Tolkien and for fantasy literature uh, in general. Uh, therefore, now I begin uh, this course differently than I would have done four years ago, that is, by making two statements. Two declarations. One, Tolkien is one of the most important authors of the 20th century. Statement number two, the genre of fantasy literature is at least as important a literary genre as any other genre currently studied by literary scholars. Those are my two statements with which I will begin this class. And I will cheerfully agree to debate anybody who would like to contest either one of those claims. Uh, Both Tolkien in particular and fantasy literature in general have been actively marginalized in the academic study of literature in the 20th century. And this prejudice stems, as most prejudices do, largely from ignorance and small-mindedness, and I have no respect for either. Um, Tolkien's position in the 20th century is a fascinating one. Um, Although his fiction didn't see print until the 30s, that was when The Hobbit was printed, and and there were decades in which he was not at all sure that anything else he ever wrote was going to see print. It's one thing to keep in mind, especially as we're reading the earlier stuff that that, that Tolkien wrote when we read the Silmarillion, for instance. The material in the Silmarillion is stuff he was working on from from, from the 19-teens onward um, until his death in 1973. But it was never published in his lifetime. And when he died, he didn't think it would ever see print. Um, although he had sort of suggested it, and his uh, publisher had politely uh, informed him that there was really no market for that kind of thing. Um, The Lord of the Rings itself was, I mean, uh, very close to not being published at several points. So uh, remember when we're reading Tolkien, it said especially his early stuff, that this is not somebody who's really writing for an audience, with with a sense of an audience um, for most of his life. Um, It wasn't until he was in his 60s that he was suddenly a literary figure himself. Uh, and, and when The Lord of the Rings was received with a popularity that quite surprised him. Um, but although, although his fiction didn't see print until later, his early writings coincide with the beginning of the modernist movement. Like most of his contemporaries, Tolkien's life was changed quite radically by World War I. Um, it's hard to exaggerate the shattering impact of World War I on the people who went through it. Um, the majority of the intellectuals of that time reacted to World War One and what followed it with cynicism and disillusion. Um, while many went from that uh, went on to challenge and resist the traditional ideas of, of beauty and, and, and value, Tolkien went in the completely opposite direction, taking. The, the, the same experience, Tolkien's, and there are going to be times this semester when I will need to remind you and you'll need to remind yourself of this, Tolkien's experience of World War I, there, is, there's, there, there are not many people uh, in Europe at the time who had a more firsthand hellish experience with World War I. Um, he was an infantryman in the trenches. He was at the Somme, the battle where 30,000 English people died, many of them drowning in the mud. Um, he, there was one time when his unit was, by a catastrophic misinterpretation of errors, advanced uh, too far in the field and cut off from everyone else. And he was one of only a small handful from his entire unit that survived uh, from that time. He spent several times, spent the night with the corpses in the mud. Uh, almost th- the majority of his closest friends from childhood and from school died. He, there were only one or two people that he was close to uh, who, uh, of his, of his uh, you know, male friends that he grew up with who survived World War I. Keep in mind, you know, when we get to his description of war and his description of of battles, keep in mind, that it's, and, and I says, there are going to be times when you're going to have to remind yourself. There are going to be times when it's going to be easy to forget, because there are times when you can get swept away in it, when it feels like and sounds like a glorification of battle. And in some ways, and to some extent, I think it actually kind of is, but... But don't forget that this is not someone who is at any point speaking from any kind of naivete about war and the horrors of war. Um, but as I said, his reaction to World War I was almost diametrically opposite from the reaction of most of the, of sort of the mainstream uh, intelligentsia of the time. Well, again, as I said before, while they were getting cynical uh, and, and, and disillusioned, he rediscovered and in part reinvented some traditional ideas. Um, He went back to the period of the past which which resonated most with his own experience and his own thoughts, both about life in general and about the war that he'd just been through, and that's the Middle Ages. Um, He found that he felt throughout his life that the reaction to World War One, the, 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 the direction that intellectuals and that artists were going in the course of the 20th century was in a self-destructive direction. Um, and throughout his career, both in his fiction and in, and in his scholarship, uh, he was a voice against that, that current of contemporary opinion. Uh, he was a point of resistance to a, a modernity that he believed was becoming alarmingly callous, alarmingly self-destructive, and even cruel. Um, and we'll see... The first thing we 're going to read this semester, which i 'm going to hand out to you if I, if I remember to get to that, um, is his essay on fairy stories and you can see in his essay uh, at several points this will come through, and I, I want you to uh, I want you to pay attention to all of it, of course, but watch out for this. you will notice those, those, those times when he will allude back to the war and when he will uh, voice some of his direct opposition. Um, This will be especially forceful in the second half of the essay, which we'll talk about on Friday. Um, But as I say, keep an eye out for that. Tolkien's popularity, therefore, is in many ways surprising, actually kind of astounding. By any measure, The Lord of the Rings is one of the most widely read and widely loved books of the 20th century. But it's really counterintuitive in some ways that it should be. I mean, what is it about the uncompromisingly Anachronistic works of this stodgy old Oxford Don that strikes such a chord with modern readers, uh, you know, readers who have, been, who have been raised and indoctrinated in the very worldview that he 's resisting all the way through his books. I mean it, it just in some ways it doesn 't make any sense that they should be popular they don 't have any right to be popular uh, in this way when, when you think about it. There are lots of possible answers to the question of why is it actually popular, but there 's one that I want to throw out right at the beginning. Um, which relies upon some ideas that we'll be developing and looking at, especially in the first couple of weeks. And that is my, my answer to the question would be that, well, Tolkien was very interested in mythology. Um, and we're going to be looking especially at what he meant by that word um, because Tolkien and, and several other of his friends like C.S. Lewis, who talked about this a lot, um, used that word in a way that's different from the way that most people use the word myth or mythology nowadays. Um, but he was very interested in mythology, and one of his one of his early and most cherished ideas when he was when he was first writing before he was published, he wanted to make a mythology for England. He felt disappointed that England didn't have what he considered a true national mythology that other places do. Um, you know like that. But there was nothing that was that you could point to that was sort of that was purely English. The thing that came closest was the Arthurian story, but as those of you who took the course last semester can testify, it's not very English actually. And he was, it was like mostly French. Uh, it's like a little bit Welsh and and a lot French and uh, and it's it's not. So I mean, it was it was it's about England and was embraced by England, but it's not in its origin really an English thing. Um, so. He, he had this, this sort of dream of, of writing a story which, which would, could kind of capture in some way uh, the English character and, and could be a mythology for England. He didn't do that. I mean, he sort of half failed and half gave up uh, doing that. Um, you can see pretty early on where he, where he abandoned that. Um, originally, Elvenholm was England. Um, but he cut that out of the drafts pretty, pretty, pretty early on. But anyway, um, in the end, though, I think in doing what he did, he succeeded in something far greater than what he was trying to do. He didn't write a mythology for England. Um, what I think Tolkien does in his works is that he establishes a mythology for the modern world, a mythology for a world that's tried to forget mythology, uh, but which can't entirely drive the need for mythology uh, out of its mind and out of its heart. Um, And that, I think, is what resonates with people most about The Lord of the Rings. Now, it's interesting that I think that many of the ways in which the films are most different from the books are exactly these ways, that what Peter Jackson has done, I think, most systematically is to demythologize. It's still a grand story. It's still an epic story on the film, but he's demythologized it, um, which which I think is a shame. I mean, you know, he knows what he's doing and the movies are good. But uh, but, I, but I do think that that's a loss. Um, and it's, you know, the, in my mind, the number one way in which uh, the books are simply incomparable uh, to the films because of what they sort of accomplish in that way. Now, one other thing uh, that I want to talk about in general uh, and give a little bit of background about is about the methodology of this class my own approach to it in particular uh my website which you all know about as i told you about in your email if you didn't know about it before and the reason why i'm wearing a microphone today let me let me give a little background into that um my i started my website uh a couple years ago then i abandoned it then i came back to it this past summer Here's the philosophy of the reason that I've started my website. My website, if you haven't looked at it, I, just, I, post, I post lectures. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lecture series on The Hobbit going through in much more detail than we'll be able to do. We're going to do The Hobbit in four 50-minute class sessions uh, in in this class. And I've already spent like, I don't know, four to five hours on only the first half of the book in the lecture series so far. But um, So anyway, I'm going through the, the text in detail and doing a kind of audio commentary on them. The reason that I'm doing this, my sort of vision, my goal to my website is that I really, I want to, and I think that the time is sort of right to take down some of the traditional barriers between academia and, <laughs> and what I'm always tempted to call the real world, uh, but which so as not to slight academia, I should probably call the rest of the world. Um, academic publication is very limiting. Um, If I were to do my work on Tolkien and publish it only in scholarly journals uh, and scholarly monographs published at uh, university presses, not that many people would get a chance to read them. Even those interested in it are usually priced out of it. I mean, can you afford to subscribe to an academic journal and you want to cough up like 500 bucks a year to subscribe to an academic journal? I mean, who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that. Most... University presses charged like 75, 80, 100 bucks for the books that they published. Who, besides research libraries, can afford to purchase these things? And in my mind, I I have been increasingly over the last few years frustrated with that. Um, I think, with Tolkien especially, there is no reason why the stuff that scholars and professors are doing and wanting to talk about about this can't be done with. People and actually, you know, actually sort of approaching a, a general audience because of the economics of the publishing industry. It's hard to do that uh, in traditional ways. So my website was created as a kind of intellectual experiment. I'm sort of experimenting, going around the publishing companies uh, and, then, and just straight to a general audience to see if I could just take my scholarship, the stuff that I would, not the stuff that I would do in class, but the stuff that I would publish and bring it right to a general audience and hopefully to be able to establish some connections and start a sort of intellectual and literary conversation that extends beyond just any individual classroom here or even, of course, the college itself. Okay, uh, a few more technical aspects. The overall trajectory of the course, uh, as you will see when I finally get around to handing out my papers, uh, is the Lord of the Rings is first and foremost in Tolkien's own categorization, a fairy tale. So, we are going to start off the class by trying to understand what Tolkien means by that. Um, We're going to be looking at some of his own theories and concepts for fantasy in particular uh, and literature in general. Um, We're going to start by reading his essay on fairy stories, which is his most important sort of literary theoretical work. We will then read his poem Mythopoeia, which is a fascinating poem um, written in response to a conversation, uh, sort of a debate he had with C.S. Lewis. and we'll talk more about that it's, it's, it's actually addressed uh, to C.S. Lewis and then two of his short stories Leaf by Niggle and Smith of Wooten Major and those two stories are really good kind of case studies uh, short uh, but, but, but very interesting and very thoughtful examples of, of how Tolkien thinks a fairy story is supposed to work um, and uh, sort of a consideration of literature in general especially leaf by niggle which you'll be writing your first paper on um, in reading these first four works what we're going to be doing is sort of understanding what's at stake for him in this whole endeavor what exactly is he doing when he's writing fiction and we're going to be building a vocabulary that we're then that we're then going to be able to use and bring to his to his later work vocabulary is very important tolkien was a philologist uh, he he loved language and he loved words um, he uh, Whenever Tolkien uses a word, um, he always has in mind the history of that word. His word choice uh, is very careful throughout. The, I mean, he, he 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 says he went back through the Lord of the Rings and and you know thought through almost every word that he chose to use because words for him have histories um, and have a, each individual word has a rich texture of meaning based upon where it came from and what the particular. Uh, personal history of that particular word is um, so words are very important and we're going to be thinking carefully about words and names and things at many points in this class so building our vocabulary um, and being able to sort of think through things in the terms that that tolkien used to describe them is going to be our one of our primary goals of the first part of the term then we're going to read the silmarillion the hobbit and the lord of the rings in that order um, I will warn you that especially in the later parts of the semester, there's going to be a lot of reading uh, in this class. I make no apologies for that. There is a substantially more pages assigned in number of pages per week in this class than in any other class that I teach. Um, I, as I'm i totally unapologetic for that, uh, mostly because a lot of you have already read them before, and so it shouldn't be that big of a burden. Um, but in any case, just be warned in advance, uh, the second half of the semester you're going to be reading probably 150 to 200 pages a week. Um, So just make sure that that doesn't sneak up on you. Uh, When we do the Silmarillion, you'll be reading less than that, but it'll feel like twice as much. Uh, So (laughs) be ready, be ready.
0: And that's about all the relevant material from today's class. Now for the next class session, we'll be reading the first half of Tolkien's essay on fairy stories. That is, start at the beginning and go up into the section that is labeled fantasy. That is up to, but not including, the section labeled fantasy. If you're looking for a copy of Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, you can find it in the volume called The Monsters and the Critics, which you can find in the bookstore section of my website. I'm looking forward to a great semester. Thanks for joining us, and Godspeed.